This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the forts of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's getting down to business right away oh humans only for this one so we gotta weed out the bad eggs i really thought that i was gonna see somebody's head explode we're gonna check the downloads next week to see where they are, <laughs> and if they're down after this episode, we know we had Martians listening, and their heads are now gone. Yeah, and then we just messed up our own metrics. Yeah, but we kind of did the world a pretty great service. I mean, unless they're just friendly Martians who like listening to podcasts. <laughs> that's true. That's a weird thing to do. Speaking of friendly Martians, uh, Ginger's called Dave Novak. Hello. Oh, hoy, hoy guys. I'm that was very, the head I was expecting very to explode. Very sad that your head did not explode. It, I have a little bit of a headache after listening to that, and... <laughs> <laughs> For those Martians who did not pass away after hearing that, I, I give you a very gracious and warming ack-ack. <laughs> That's very polite of you. <laughs> Thank you. I for, I, was, I, for one, root for our Martian overlords. I think they bring a lot of good ideas to the table, and over the past two years, who can, who can say otherwise? You're starting to sound a lot like a net bending. <laughs> no one's ever said that, ever. Ever. <laughs> Actually, you know what? My mom said something like that to me just this weekend. It was crazy. You sound a lot like a net bedding. Like physically, I sound like a, like a net bedding. I don't know why she said that, but whatever. I think I agree with your mom a little bit. She's very wise. <laughs> very wise. This week, we are talking about the 1996 movie Mars Attacks, directed by Timothy fucking Burton. Gotta love Timmy Burtz. Thank you guys for this movie. What? You weren't happy with Catwoman and Garfield? I, don't forget about Spawn, by the way. I got Spawn, I got Garfield, I got Catwoman, and after you guys do that, then you throw Mars attacks at me, and you totally redeem yourselves. We do what we can, man. I'll assume you've seen this thing before. You seem like somebody who's watched this before, Dave. No, I have not. I was supposed to watch this, or rather, I was supposed to have seen this at a birthday party back in elementary school, and I was too afraid to see it. So. Whatever, 12-year-old Dave Novak completely dipped out of seeing this movie, and then I never saw it afterwards. So this is my first time seeing it. Did it scare you? Uh, that opening scene scared the fuck out of me, yeah. That was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, but I was terrified. But then I was delighted after that. And now, Brian, you hadn't seen this either. This is also my first time what seeing this movie. What the hell is yeah. happening right now? This is a movie that I was also supposed to see. No, I was never supposed to see it, but I just, I always wanted to. It just never, never happened. The stars never aligned for me and Mars Attacks. What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that could go either way. We yeah. watched a movie. <laughs> yep. Now, Dave, you have seen this movie, though. I saw this in theaters way too young. <laughs> for sure. And I got to say, it probably shaped me into the functioning human being that i am today <laughs> thanks tim burton <laughs> he did it <laughs> ruining childhoods one movie at a time 
Yeah, I just want to correct the record. I was eight years old when this movie came out. That's way too young to see this movie. I yeah. Was, I was rightly scared of this movie when I was younger. Yeah, I feel like this movie would have an effect on an eight-year-old. It makes you think Tom Jones is cool. That's a problem. <laughs> well, Tom Jones is pretty fucking cool, so. <laughs> yeah, what's your problem? What's your yeah. beef with Tom Jones? Yeah. I don't know, but apparently I have a deep-seated one that just is flowing out of my subconscious right now. I'm like, fuck that guy! <laughs> Maybe you just have a problem with pussycats, Dave. Is that it? Is that it? You just don't want, you don't care about the opinions of pussycats. You don't care what's new with their lives. Is that it? I think my issue with Tom Jones is that he's Welsh and he doesn't sound Welsh in this movie. Like you're from Wales. You need to sound like you have marbles in your mouth at all times when speaking and ride a dragon or something. Yeah. How dare you act in a movie? Tom Jones is Welsh? Hey, he's like the king of Wales. Wait, he hails from Wales. This is new information to me, too. This is, this is my... If this is true, and I, I'm going to call bullshit on this, this would blow my mind. This would be the biggest reveal of this movie for me. Hey, he's from Tree Forest, Wales. Tree- it has a lot of other na- letters that- to it. <laughs> Tree Forest? I'm pretty sure Tree Forest is one of the characters that you just covered last week. I was just going <laughs> to say the exact same thing. Tree Forest, my ass. Tom Jones is Welsh. I had no clue. You could have told me he's from anywhere else, and I would have believed you. That explains why he never ran for president, I guess. Yeah, that's the exact only mm. reason. That's the only reason. You want to get into this thing? <laughs> I do. <laughs> we might as well. I do. So badly. Four miles outside Lockjaw, Kentucky, a farmer and his neighbor are confused by a delicious smell permeating the area. A herd of cows stampede by completely on fire. And this guy, four miles outside of Lockjaw, Kentucky, just drops, what is it when it's not casual racism? Blatant racism. Blatant racism. All over his neighbor. But they seem to be like friendly. Like there's a give and take the neighborhood type thing going on here. By the way, I had paused the movie at this point because I had it grab an edible. Very early. (laughs) Less than a minute in. I got less than a minute in. I was like, you know what would make this movie better? Drugs. But I paused the movie and the character of the neighbor was simply just called Hillbilly Neighbor. So that kind of, (laughs) kind of, you know. Really, really summarizes things for the beginning of this movie. Standard Kentuckian. I thought that was a herd of people, by the way, when this movie first started, and I was about to turn it off. I was freaking out. <laughs> but then it just turned out to be dumb old cows, and I was like, all right, I'm still in. You imagine that, though? It's like, it's called Mars Attacks, and we missed the attack. It's all just like the after of it all. After the stampede of flaming cows, a flying saucer takes off from behind the house, and then we start the opening credits. And then we get to see every name in this movie, and it's insane. It's so many. So many stars. And they're all there. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Paycheck attacks the movie. I read that everybody in this movie got paid the exact same amount except for Jack Nicholson. Well, that's because he's Jack Nicholson. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And he was pulling double duty in this. Yes, he was. <laughs> For reasons. They made him earn his paycheck, I think. <laughs> we'll get there. Yes, we will. The president of the United States, James Dale, played by Jack fucking Nicholson, because guess what? Everybody in this movie's getting it. So many fuckings. President Dale is alerted to a number of spacecraft that have been reportedly launched from Mars and are en route to Earth. General Decker, played by Rod fucking Steiger, demands immediate military action. But Professor Kessler, Professor Donald Kessler, played of course by Pierce fucking Brosnan, suggests that though they know very little about these aliens, their advanced technology would suggest that they're an advanced peaceful species. 
I want Rod Steiger to be this role in every movie from this point forward. <laughs> just, just every movie? Insert him ever. I want to be the Stan Lee of just every movie. He needs a cameo just, in this role because he's that good. He pops up in every single movie and is just like, bomb the antagonist. <laughs> we need the kale! 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 Shut up. We'll get we'll there. We'll get there. We'll absolutely get there. We also meet the first lady, Marsha Dale, played by Glenn fucking Close, and their daughter, Taffy, played by Natalie fucking Portman. And she's a teenager. She is. (laughs) Now we know that. She's acting like a 90s teenager would. That's also a year before she landed the role for a Star War. That's pretty good. So you have Jack fucking Nicholson, Glenn fucking Close, and Natalie fucking Portman. There's a lot of fucking in this family. So much. Well, wait, hold on. <laughs> Sorry. No, there's, there's a, yeah, there's fucking, but it's not in the family. It's with the family. You, you know what? You, you know what I mean? The it's first a great fucking, fucking family. family. Yeah, it's the first family that's fucking. Fa- no, hold on. It's you know, it's whatever. It's a tab on Pornhub. That's what it is. Let's <laughs> move on. That is not a tab I want to see, though. Well, if you were a patriotic American, Dave, you'd want to see that. This is the first family. I really wish I had just a clip of Hail to the Chief ready to play right now. Excuse me, Miss Lewinsky. I'm going to need you to step into the Roosevelt room with me. (laughs) Zip. (laughs) That was the saddest (laughs) version of Hail to the Chief I've ever heard. I loved it. I'm so happy that the sad version of Hail to the Chief totally overshadowed me trying to do a Bill Clinton. So we're good. Meanwhile, in Las Vegas, Byron Williams, played by Jim fucking Brown, a former boxing champion and casino entertainer, gets a call from his ex-wife Louise, played by Pam fucking Greer. She lives in Washington, D.C., and their sons haven't been home in two nights. And he's like... Yeah, they're that age, which makes you think, all right, <laughs> late teens probably. And they won't be when they're introduced. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> also in Las Vegas is Art Land, played again by Jack Nicholson <laughs> for reasons. He was hungry, crafty, didn't have what he wanted, so he just wanted to choose some scenery. And they said, here, put on all this, this crazy oil money costume they have here and let's go chomp away, bud. You know what? He is having a great time playing this role and i had a great time watching him oh artland is fun artland is very fun whereas james dale not so much no james dale is very serious very presidential would be the worst president of all time (laughs) sorry 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 not a political podcast second worst president of all time but still not political still not a political podcast not political at all yeah take that james buchanan (laughs) we said what we We said we are pretty anti-buchanan podcast everybody knows that about us not political until it comes to to old buki that's right artland is a sleazy land developer with plans to build a new casino and his wife barbara land played by annette benning is a recovering alcoholic slash hippie now let me ask you something about this casino because you said he has plans to build this new casino and he's like gathering intel on what he wants in this casino and i'm sitting here like okay cool when you're breaking ground and then when you go look at it this thing is already it's done 95 percent <laughs> complete it already exists and he's like i gotta get intel i don't know i don't know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it blew my mind the president holds a televised fireside chat announcing to the world that the martians are coming it should be a bigger deal and they treat like a cut-in on the news, like a breaking news thing from the president. 
Like it's the biggest thing of all time. And now it's just like Thursday. If he does yeah. it, it's nothing. It's like, ah, oh, the president is interrupting us. Gosh, is this going to be important? And I guess it was. It was. Government's funny in this movie. We'll get there. <laughs> yes, we will. Government and the media is funny. We'll get there. Yeah. It's all, yes. And the thing I love about his speech is that he made it about him right away. He talked about the most important events in his life. No, I know. That's because the, the worst two presidents that we've ever had, three if you include Buchanan, will always make it about themselves. No matter what. Not a political podcast. Not political. Yeah, take that, Taft, who we're adding to the list. <laughs> you know what you did. Yeah, fat sack of shit. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you let him have it. Wow. I understand that his Supreme Court's in disarray right now, but Jesus. Oh, boy. Jesus. Sorry. The way out of all of our Taft fan listeners. <laughs> They're gone. They're completely gone. Oh, I'm just joking. Can I get some love from our Tafties? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we love bathtubs, too. That's a great reference. Uh, even though the president is making this entire speech about himself, there's one guy who's still paying more attention to his self, and that's Danny DeVito. He just keeps on gambling. <laughs> and I would I would tell you the name of the character, but he's top build and doesn't have one. He's top build. It blows my mind just how many people are on the poster of this movie, and you're just like, why? They do almost nothing. <laughs> Glenn Close is barely in the movie. Danny DeVito, I think, is in the movie for a minute and a half. Danny DeVito got a call. He was like, what? I get to play a character, and I'm in Las Vegas? I'll do it. And then he just took a vacation to Las Vegas. I don't even think he was acting during this movie. I think they just filmed him being Danny DeVito in public. <laughs> well, he said that he took the role because he'll do anything Tim Burton asked him to do. Anything? Anything. All right, Danny, why don't you come with me into the Roosevelt room? Now I'm going to need you to stare into the eyes of this portrait of Willard Fillmore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> while you fillet oh, oh. me <laughs> jeez <laughs> really give another meaning to the word Fillmore huh hey. that's right thank you speaking of piece of shit oh moving on <laughs> Jesus yeah we're targeting your favorite presidents <laughs> <laughs> we don't care who we offend we're just going one by one as long as we can remember them at yeah, this you know point <laughs> wait till we get to Van Buren that Dutch piece of shit am I right <laughs> <laughs> Got while him! At, while we're at it, fuck Franklin Pierce. <laughs> In Kansas, the Norris family receives the news a little differently than Danny DeVito did. Billy Glenn Norris, Jack fucking Black, <laughs> <laughs> the youngest Jack fucking Black, oh yeah, is preparing to report for Martian detail. His father, Glenn, played by Joe fucking Don fucking Baker, remarks... If any of them Martians come around here, I'm going to kick their butts. Putting the Martians on blast. I love it. Richie Norris, played, of course, by Lucas Haas. Who else? Thinks the whole thing is... Oh, we skipped the fucking for Lucas Haas. Oh, I meant to say Lucas oh, fucking Haas. No. Who else? Oh, no. God, you're treating Lucas Haas like he's Chester A. Arthur. Am I right? <laughs> uh, Lucas fucking Haas. I, I apologize to the entire fucking Haas family. <laughs> He thinks the whole thing's pretty neat. And Grandma Florence, Sylvia fucking Sydney, she just wants to know where her cat Muffy is. Is that what she named it? At this point, we don't know it's a cat. She just says, hey, where's Muffy? That's not great for Grandma to say out loud. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. In my notes for this movie, I just had a bullet point that said Muffy? Question mark? Muffy? Muffy? Dave's 
I have the first of what I suspect is caped IMDb trivia. Ooh, exciting. The original pitch for this film was Married with Children on Mars. But Tim Burton said, if I have to use Jefferson Darcy instead of Steve Rhodes, I won't do the film. Different Strokes on Mars was also rejected. It was not what they were talking about, Willis. They'll approve anything. It's a fact. Go submit shit on IMDb trivia. There are no rules on IMDb. I feel like you can get an IMDb trivia fact up long enough to get it submitted to Wikipedia. They'll approve it before IMDb pulls it down, and then it's just real forever. It is real for forever at that point. There is some absolute nonsense out there. (laughs) The next morning, while news reporter Jason Stone, played by Michael J. fucking Fox, and his girlfriend Natalie Lake, played by Sarah Jessica fucking Parker, Booker! They're eating breakfast because it's the morning. Stop that. She looks great. She does. In this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we needed the qualifier there, Brian. Ah, we might have. She receives a call telling her she'll be interviewing Professor Kessler on her daytime talk show. And Michael J. Fox is like, "Ah, we should have got him because, you know, he's a news reporter and she's a talk show host. And his hair looks great. His hair does look great. His hair looks fantastic. Meanwhile, while driving her bus route, Luis sees her sons skipping school. The ones, you know, who are are at that age where they just don't come home for a couple days. And they are school children. They're not very old at all. But they're skipping school. They're playing in the arcade. So she stops the bus, yells at them, drags them back onto the bus, and the commuters on the bus all cheer for her. That is the most unrealistic thing in this movie, and there are Martians in it. Totally agreed. Nobody is going to be like, yeah, good job making me late for work. Good job parenting. (laughs) There's no reason why public transportation's dying around the country. As the bus pulls away, a limo pulls up to a street corner, and press secretary Jerry Ross, played by Martin fucking Short, talks to some classy daytime prostitutes. As you do. <laughs> he's In his defense, he's very stressed out at work. It's super stressed out. You can tell how stressed out he is by how sleazy he is when he rolls down the window. <laughs> I like how he just kind of rolls it down. Like, he knows. He knows all about who's Lazar. And it's like, day man. Oh. <laughs> Tell you what, there's nothing short about Jerry Ross in that scene, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Him and those ladies of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Word of advice for people who are listening to this podcast that are uh, thinking about engaging in sex work. <laughs> this is good. But PSA. Oh, good. A PSA. Dave, can I get some PSA music? <laughs> bum, 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 bum. That comes at the end. Yeah. The oh. I, know. <laughs> I thought you were going to do another Hail to the Chief, but very sad. <laughs> <laughs> if you are looking to pick up a sex worker, the middle of the day is usually not the best time to do it. I thought this was a PSA for potential sex workers. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. This is <laughs> for potential Johns. Framed. Okay. okay, my apologies. Sex workers of the day, my one piece of advice... <laughs> If you see Martin Short, please give him your services for free because he is. Treat the man right. He's a Canadian treasure. And we all know Canada is just full of treasures, but he's one of the best treasures of Canada. And he is a delight in only murders in the building. Those, those are two things that are going for you. So if you, if you work with Martin Short, you're going to have a great afternoon. Do you think that Martin Short's like out there looking for ladies of the day? Do you think he's like kind of. Like one of those Salvation Army 
people during Christmas who's like jingling a bell, but he's doing it on his little short, <laughs> just wiggling back and forth. On uh, Little Martin. I'm just like, look at this. This is SNL comedy right here. <laughs> jingle, jingle, jingle. Yeah, fun fact about this scene was actually it wasn't part of the movie. It was a behind the scenes thing they were shooting for the movie. <laughs> we were like, spy we should include this. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of like Tim Burton like just filming a documentary co-tangent with this movie. I was just documenting <laughs> Martin Short's sex worker addiction. I like that. <laughs> it's 1996, so it's not going to be a DVD bonus feature, but you know maybe they'll put it after the credits on the VHS. Yeah, like an additional VHS. I mean, and Martin Short had that father of the bride money to just burn at that point too. So, all right, Timmy, this is Jack Nicholson here. If you get me some clips of Martin Short trying to solicit sex i'll do your little martian <laughs> movie i guess it's the only way jack nicholson f- can finish is watching martin, watching martin it's, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a very obscure wow fetish i mean if that's your thing that's your thing right hey we're not judging here we don't yuck yums here exactly yeah, no, we don't, we don't who judge am i boy. to kink shame somebody's yeah. martin, <laughs> martin short, short fetish, fetish. <laughs> Yeah, we don't, we don't kink shame here unless your kink is rooting for President William Henry Harrison, in which case you can, in which case you can tip a canoe and fuck off too. Am I right? That's the modern saying. That's it. End the podcast now. Tip a canoe and fuck you too. That's so good. I really, hope I, I really hope I got that ninth grade history trivia fact correct. We'll see. Do you want to hear a real sad presidential fact? I would love to hear a sad presidential fact. It's my favorite kind. Jimmy Carter. Oh, yeah. It'd be funny if I just left it at that, but I'm not. The <laughs> <Aww>. fact <laughs> about him is he's got the least cool name of all time because his real name is James Earl Carter. Oh, no. And like us as human beings are like conditions. Like, no, it's James Earl Jones. What? What? Oh. <laughs> Who would have thought Darth Vader stole his name from him? What a fucking shit. <laughs> became a, became a, a short white Georgian man. Well, I think Jimmy Carter's cool. Because he grew a lot of peanuts, and his brother had a beer. And honestly, that's cool in my book. Is that all he did? I, I, well, he might have. <laughs> <laughs> his brother had a single beer? Just one Just time? Just one beer. Welcome to the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library. <laughs> Those are some peanut shells, <laughs> and that's the beer. Tip a canoe and get the fuck out! I'm just picturing it as the waiting area at a Texas roadhouse. <laughs> It's like a sad planet Hollywood. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. Jimmy Carter is 107 years old, and he's still building houses for Habitat. James Earl Carter. James Earl Carter. James Earl Carter. (laughs) He can also choke people with his hands, so that's pretty cool, too. Or or peanuts. Like, far away. That's right. Keep him out of schools during their lunches. (laughs) (laughs) He uses the force, and he chokes people with peanuts, uh, daredevil style. Pretty sure it's how it goes. In Las Vegas, Byron asks his boss for a raise to help support his family, and his boss tells him to get lost, and that's a whole scene in this movie. It is. Awesome. While Professor Kessler is being interviewed by Natalie, Jason notes that Natalie's flirting with him, and he's like, yeah, what is this about? That's my girlfriend hitting on the Pierce Brosnan. He says it like he's never seen anyone flirt, ever. Well, you're right. He- <laughs> yeah. They're flirting over there! Well, in his defense, Dave, you don't really appreciate flirting until you see the guy that plays James Bond do it with your girlfriend. 
That's a good point. That's fair. That's very fair. With a fucking pipe as well. Oh, my God. Well, horses like pipes. That's well known. Look at Mr. Oh, Ed. Oh, come on. James Earl Carter came over to oh, no. Sarah Jessica Parker's <laughs> mouth and rubbed peanut butter on her gums <laughs> to make her talk <laughs> in this movie. Zip. The transmission is interrupted by the Martians who deliver a message. And that brings us to our first Facebook question. And it is Phil Hudson Hawkins. And his question is, Ack, 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 ack. Okay, I, I got this one. I got this one. Um, I'm going to wed Tom Jones. I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> Behead Art, uh, no, behead James Dale and yeah. and um, and bed Artland. Cool, Brian's oh. gonna kill the president. I just want that out there on record for forever. Like no, it's a willing, fake one. Ready, willing, and able. If it has to come down to it, yeah. <laughs> hey, if it, it means I get preserved the here, sweet, sweet, sweet loving from that sleazy Vegas land developer, <laughs> and I get to marry Tom Jones, then it was worth it. Oh, marrying Tom Jones would be worth it. I agree. So, Phil, there you go. Thank you. Actually, a, a, as a quick aside to that. I saw Phil's comment on Facebook, and it, they had an option underneath it. I swear to God, this is true. It says, translate comment. <laughs> Click it. I clicked it. And the translation, for some reason, they think it's Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's bork, it, bork, 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 It's even, it's even funnier slash sadder than that. It goes, and quote, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I will quote here. Ouch. Ouch, 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 ouch. Oh, ack. That's what it is. So apparently ack in Swedish is ouch. That is actually. According according to the translation tools of Facebook. So take that for what it is. That's actually a full transcription of me and Artland. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Oh, right after Artland, James K. Polks you, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Perfect. Not on the list. Polk is great. <laughs> oh, he's one of the top in our books, probably. Of course. I hope somebody actually puts together a real ranking of this bullshit we're spilling. <laughs> Micah, you're on it, right? You love lists. He loves lists so much. Well, since we're already off topic, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Fire away! Uncredited writers Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski weren't sure what the Martians should sound like. So the script had ack, 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 ack. For all of their lines of dialogue, that became their actual dialogue. So they treated it just like Matt Stone and Trey Parker treated Spadoinkle in Cannibal <laughs> yep. Musical. Yep. Fantastic. Ack, 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 Spadoinkle, ack, ack. Nailed it. I also have what is probably a caped IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> I wonder why you think that. Since we're talking about Jason Stone recognizing flirting... Michael J. Fox plays a young jerk character in this film. He was not able to shake this type of casting at the point, this point in his oh career. My God. They'll approve anything. Oh <laughs> That's so terrible. I'm not going to call out whoever put that in, but you are going to hell. You will be joining Ronald Reagan right in hell. That's right, people. <laughs> Ronald Reagan also in hell. <laughs> For what it's worth. I'm pretty sure I've made the most Schindler's List jokes on any podcast ever, but at this point, I'm going to end up there anyway. <laughs> That's fair. It does seem to be a go-to for you. Yeah, it's a weird one. Haven't really questioned that. <laughs> Maybe that's on you. Uh, 
the fucked up thing is I knew, I knew, I knew. I'm like, somebody's going to put in a fake IMDb trivia fact about Michael J. Fox in this movie. I know it. And yeah. Yeah, somebody. Somebody who will go nameless. Burning in hell right next to Ronnie Reagan. See you in hell. (laughs) (laughs) In the wake of this transmission, the president, Professor Kessler, and several generals hold a meeting in their war room to analyze what they know about the Martians. Like that they can breathe nitrogen and may be capable of telepathic communication. And this war room is the saddest war room because it's so depressing. It has a very tiny desk for the president to sit at that is just not very intimidating at all. And what's worse than that is you have all the generals around, I guess, in a semicircle, mm-hmm. and they don't even have a table, but they do have rolly chairs still, <laughs> which is weird. That's all right. They'll get an upgrade later in the movie to a better war room. A scientist also brings a machine that he claims has translated the Martian speech patterns, but the translation really doesn't make sense. It's about, like, the suede and... and <laughs> dark, dark is the suede that mows like a harvest. I wrote it down. Thank you. I'm glad That's somebody some did. That's deep shit, though. It it, they're is. just very poetic Martians. What if they're all lovers and, like, they came out with smoking pipes with, like, bow ties and stuff, talking about writing poems by the river or whatever? <laughs> if there were more pipes in this movie... Sarah Jessica Parker will be having a field day. Blue cow! I'm going to do the winning. I don't give a damn. Bad guy. She's a horse lady. (laughs) I was was trying to make another president joke, and I could not think of one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how blue we can get. I was going to make an Andrew Johnson fucking a horse joke. That's not... it's, It's probably... No. That's more of a Teddy Roosevelt thing, I feel like. Oh, Teddy Roosevelt would fuck. You know what? I think Andrew Johnson would get fucked by a horse, and Teddy Roosevelt would fuck a horse. Dave Attell had a great joke. He said, uh, what's the best part about fucking a horse? You know you have a ride home. (laughs) (laughs) These are difficult to transition. Yeah. (laughs) Barbara goes to an AA meeting and tells everyone that she believes the Martians are coming to save them all. And then Billy Glenn ships off to serve as his Martian detail. And the rest of the family laments that Richie isn't more like his brother. <laughs> and they tell him to bring Grandma back to the home. It's a lot of Dewey Cox vibes going There's on so here. So many it. Dewey Cox mm-hmm. vibes. That was what was missing from Walk Hard was a senile grandma. Oh, 100%. Oh, I thought you were going to say Christina fucking Applegate was missing. Christina fucking Applegate was in this movie and her job was to make out with Jack Black. And she has a credit in the spinny earth thing at the beginning. It's like, how did you does. pull that? Yeah. I think she's credited before Jack Black. <laughs> he has lines. Yeah, he does. When Richie and his grandma arrive at the home, the nursing home, Grandma Florence pets her taxidermied pussycat, Muffy, and then puts on her Slim Whitman record. She is so fired up to see this dead cat. She is so excited to see the dead cat. Byron is running down the middle of the street in Vegas. As you do. And Art Lynn picks him up in his limo. And he offers him $2,000 to intimidate and beat up a guy that owes him money. And Byron's like, I'm not going to do that because I'm trying to be a better man for my family. What family? You're getting divorced, bud. He is divorced. He's trying to get back with his family. Well, he's doing a bad job for a lot of reasons. I mean, he lives in Las Vegas instead of in Washington, D.C. with them. And he thinks that it's just okay as kids go missing for days at a time. That's their age. It's fine. <laughs> Dude, you got to be at least like 11 or something now, right? That You don't come home when you're that old. When I was 11, we had these two kids. 
By the way, my favorite line in the scene is when he's saying he's becoming a good person. He he's following a law and he gave up pork. And Jack Nicholson just goes, "You gave up pork." That's, <laughs> that's my Jack Nicholson. It's not a bad Nicholson. It's Thank not you. that bad. Thank you. Whenever I do an impression, I sometimes turn off the mic and say a lie in order to get it kind of in my head. Mm-hmm. Like you could do that with Nicholson. You gave up pork. pork? <laughs> Usually, mine is. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? In the pork moonlight? You ever pale with the dance in the pork moonlight? <laughs> a dyslexic <laughs> Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it would be amazing. You can't handle the pork. All right, Luke, you couldn't lift that thing out of the bog, but do or do not, there is no pork. Um, Nicholson Yoda is something I might need in my life, actually. Forget it, Jake. It's pork town. That's not really a Jack Nicholson impression, but I wanted to do something with Chinatown. Good, good job. Thank you. We, we all appreciate the effort. The Martians send coordinates for their intended landing site in Nevada. A military escort is headed up by General Casey, played by Paul fucking Winfield, who is a much more quiet and docile general than General Decker. He's a pushover. He is. He, I, I like his, his theory about, hey, if you just stand around and don't say anything, you'll move up in the ranks. Not wrong. A whole crowd of spectators show up, too, including Jason and Natalie, who are, who are both reporting on the event. Standing on their separate trucks. Yep. Waving was, at each other. Hi! And Jason's like, I'm about to go live. Will you shut up? I'm a jerk in this movie because I can't seem to shake that role right now. Oh. <laughs> Double down. <laughs> Terrible. Barbara is also there, but she's watching from afar. And she's got her, you know, crystal prism and all of her hippie stuff. But she's like on top of a, a mountain watching this thing go down. It's like, that's actually a pretty good seat, tell you the truth. She's got a good vibe going on here. Kind of smart to keep your distance from the, the first contact <laughs> the with the Martians. <laughs> the spaceship lands, and a handful of Martians emerge, most armed with ray guns, and one in a sparkling red cloak. By the way, I have to add here, when the UFO lands, it's got six legs. And if you added two more legs on that UFO, you, you got yourself a mechanical spider. It is strangely close to being a mechanical spider. It's very close to being a mechanical spider. Every time someone mentions a mechanical spider, a John Peters gets his nut. (laughs) 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 After the translation machine determines that this is the Martian ambassador and General Casey delivers his welcome message, the Martians claim that they come in peace. And they keep like repeating it over the loudspeaker, but... You know that their idea of peace, even if it is true, just philosophically, it can't be the same thing. Like, these different ways of thinking, they do not translate. Like, we, between us on Earth, we have issues with, like, socially with this. What is Nevertheless, peace? intergalactically, or interplanetary, really. It's not so much a galactic. We're going to have a deep philosophical conversation about what peace means now? We might have to. This might be the time to break it all down for the world to hear. <laughs> wow. They got really like deep and into it on their Mars Attacks episode. We have a better chance of calling this episode The Gang Solves World Peace. <laughs> <laughs> and have it run just like It's Always Sunny episode. Like That's our only real shot. Yeah. Too bad we don't have that piece of shit Woodrow Wilson here who created the League of Nations after World War I. Am I right? He would have some ideas on peace. And Didn't he about- hate women? Uh, he was an American president. Yes. <laughs> or did he? Yes. <laughs> well played. You would name the Jersey president. You would. You know, I think Grover Cleveland's Jersey too. Yeah, I think we have. Yeah, but he's named after a Muppet. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> I, would, I would actually, if, uh, in all sincerity, in the next election, if we had a candidate who was named Fozzie Oscar the Grouch, I would vote for him in a fucking second. It's an interesting combination of characters. I prefer my presidential candidates who grew up in garbage cans. Hmm. Waka waka. And I'm gonna curve day gun control! Waka waka! <laughs> Snuffleupagus for a comptroller. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know at all. Either of those two things. It's insane. One of them is a make-believe woolly mammoth. The other one is on Sesame Street. I it's don't a know. a bear in a garbage can, apparently. <laughs> That's all Dave described was a bear in a garbage can. That's his original idea. Waka waka. <laughs> so the Martians come in peace. That means a hippie in the crowd releases a dove because that's just the natural occurrence of events. And when the Martian ambassador sees the dove, he gets scared, immediately shoots it down, and then proceeds to shoot General Casey, vaporizing him and turning him into a bright red skeleton. And the reaction of the people that are watching this on TV is not much. They're no. Like, oh. <laughs> The aliens are mean, it looks like. In the way that it's edited, President Jack Nicholson only sits up after the attack is done. <laughs> huh? And his quote is, did you see that? So the thing that was just <laughs> televised <laughs> of people burning alive and their skeletons being red and green across the desert plains of America. He says, did you see that? that is I <laughs> love the skeleton colors, too, how it's Me the too. laser color. Oh, it's such it's a so neat good. little touch. It's fun. And especially for a December release, you know, you got to keep it holiday themed somehow. Is this a Christmas movie like Die Hard? It might be. <laughs> the skeletons, they're red and green. Count it. The scene dissolves into complete chaos as the Martians vaporize and kill almost everyone, turning them into neon green and bright red skeletons. Billy Glenn surrenders when his gun falls apart on him and is immediately vaporized while his parents watch at home. Well, like, grabs the American flag, holds it over his head. It's like, what was your plan here, Billy Glenn? He, he yells, I surrender, as he grabs the flag. Like, it's a white flag, but it's not. It's American. <laughs> it's, yeah. The Martians also vaporize Jason Stone and take Natalie Lake and her little chihuahua poppy onto their ship before leaving the massacre behind. I like how they kill a main character. Why yeah. not? You establish stakes and no one's safe. This is good. Boom. Michael J. Fox out of the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's a great call, actually. Like, there's, after the scene, nobody is safe. And also, big fan of Poppy. <laughs> Poppy's a lot of fun. Poppy's a great dog. This Poppy would not pee on Jerry's couch. Wow. What a deep reference. I like that. Wow. I think this Poppy would actually pee on Michael J. Fox's couch. Pro oh, probably. Yes. But who hasn't, really? Back in Washington, D.C., General Decker demands that immediate action be taken. But Professor Kessler feels that what they just witnessed could have been a cultural misunderstanding due in part to the dove. <laughs> and that's going to make me ask our second Facebook question. And this one's from Christopher John. He asks, was Jack Nicholson a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Which is a wonderful question. It wow. Is. So this is a tough one because on the one hand, he does trust a scientist. With his decision. So you would think Democrat. But on the other hand, he doesn't close the schools in a time of emergency. So he might be a Republican. <laughs> but then later, the Secret Service needs to help get a lady of the night out of the White House. So maybe he is a Democrat. But also, and spoiler alert, 
a dog blows up in front of the president, and he doesn't really seem to care, so he might be Republican. So I don't know the answer to this question. It, it really could go either way. He also, at some point, apparently campaigns to have a cop on every corner. So, Ooh, could be Republican then. Um, We'll get there with style and tone, actually. <laughs> yeah? Okay. okay. <laughs> if you say so. The president sends out a message to the Martians. Barbara returns home to find Art still wheeling and dealing. And she's like, hey, Martians just attacked. It was not a misunderstanding. I was there. And Art's like, yeah, but if the Martians are coming, they're going to need somewhere to stay. And she's like, you know what? Fuck it. Give me the booze. <laughs> That's the right answer, though. Great decision. Great decision. And spoiler alert, my favorite part of this thing is like she falls off the wagon and her life just turns out great. She actually survives. <laughs> she becomes a drinker. There's no like, there's no retribution angle. She's just, she starts drinking again and everything is fine. And everything goes her way. Perfect. Byron calls Louise and the kids to let them know that he's flying in the next day to see them. And the kids tell them they're going on a field trip to the White House the next day. <laughs> by the way, by still the not way. canceled. Right. Martians just attacked, say, but our, our field trip still happening. You know, this is a movie that was written pre 9-11 because there's an attack on American soil and the guy is still planning out a plane trip. And the screenwriter was like, yeah, no, that, that's totally plausible that the airports, airports would still be operating right now. Totally plausible. There's a lot of things that that are very pre 9-11. You know what? We're about, we're about to get there. Holy shit, this movie's about to go off the rails. No, that's really the yeah. only thing that doesn't make sense about this movie, but go on. <laughs> it's kind of like the Superman movie. You'll believe a man can fly. You'll believe a horse can talk. Stop making Sarah Jessica Parker jokes. She's very pretty in this movie. <laughs> You'll believe that they can film a scene in front of the Capitol with actual tanks. <laughs> Pre-9-11 movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Martians receive the president's message. And the Martian ambassador issues a formal apology, feeling remorse for their cultural misunderstanding, and would like to appear before Congress. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's <laughs> yeah, do no that. problem. It was just a misunderstanding. A big old oopsie-daisy. The request is granted, and a Martian ship lands in front of the United States Capitol. The Martian ambassador and two armed Martians appear before Congress, and after reading what appears to be a speech... The Martian ambassador draws a gun and vaporizes the entire legislative branch of the government. And once again, the panic from the president is <laughs> not there. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Like, you would think that you just lost an entire branch of your government. And, like, what we've lived through now in the past couple of years, <laughs> it's like if one of them, like, sprained strength, like, we got to put him down and have a special election. And here, you just lost everyone. All of them. The largest no branch, too. no one cared. No <laughs> one cared. Professor Kessler is like, hey, Martian ambassador, you got to stop. But he's, he's quickly knocked out and taken aboard their spaceship. And I love how the Martians just know how to do that. Yeah, of course. They're an advanced <laughs> civilization. Ack, 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 ack. I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Jonathan Gems didn't realize that the Mars Attacks bubblegum cards had a story on the back until he'd written the script using his own original story. <laughs> wow. Uh, it shows. the laziest <laughs> thing ever. I did not know that Cal Ripken Jr. hit baseballs. I just thought he wore uh, an outfit and fielded ground balls. I did not know that he actually played the game and that there were stats involved on the back of that card. Hold on. You're telling me trading cards have a backside? I thought this was two? like a Pokemon card. We just had a logo. 
So this is something that we haven't talked about yet. This whole movie, <laughs> this this movie that had a budget of what was it, Brian? A couple million dollars? Seventy million. <laughs> Seventy million dollars, and employed every actor of the <laughs> mid nineties. This movie was based off of a series of obscure playing cards, trading cards, not even I'm playing sorry, cards. Tra- it's just trading cards. Yeah, that Tim Burton was like, "Hey, no game to play, just collect them." These are collectibles that I like. Can I make a movie out of it? And the movie studio was like, yeah, why not? Go for it. Well, it worked out for Garbage Pail Kids. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please don't tell me you're going to have me on for that movie, too. Oh, man. I love the Garbage Pail Kids cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, wait, wait, the GBCMU? Is that what you're saying? Yep. (laughs) That's right. I will I will not appear on the podcast for that movie. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> Fuck you guys. You Fuck won't have these. a choice. <laughs> Apparently, Jonathan Gems got Tim Burton these cards for his birthday one year, and then he was like, I'm also going to write a movie. <laughs> There's also dinosaur attack, dinosaurs attack cards, and they decided not to do that because of Jurassic Park. Nah, that checks out. Yeah. It's just wild that this movie, it, this movie was based on something as obscure as, like, it could have been based on, like, bathroom graffiti, like, <laughs> and I would believe it 100%. I, it, it, Tim Burton could have walked into a, a, a bathroom stall, sat down, began pooping, and then saw graffiti that just said, ack, ack, ack. <laughs> I and have I an like, idea for a movie. I have a, and you know what? Fucking good on him, because I would just see ack, 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 and I would say, who brings a pen into a stall? <laughs> The ultimate question. Yeah. In the aftermath of the attack, General Decker once again demands that action be taken, but President Dale refuses to be the person responsible for starting an interplanetary war, which infuriates the general, and rightfully so. The president wants to reassure the American people that they are still safe and life can continue as normal, and with some meatloaf math that the government can still function. (laughs) He says at least two out of the three branches of government are still operating, and that ain't bad. Amazing. Man, is this movie, oof, did it just, it like Babe Ruth pointing to left field, it called it shot for 2022. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. Well, we're, we might be down to one out of three, but we're not a political podcast. Not a political not podcast. Political. Yeah. yeah, Andrew Jackson, you fucking prick. <laughs> that one's not even a hot take. <laughs> nah, he's not like a That's a historic fact. Yeah, yeah. Aboard the Martian ambassador ship, the Martians have conducted medical experiments on Natalie, Poppy, and the professor. Natalie and Poppy's heads have been swapped, with Natalie's head now transplanted onto the Chihuahua's body. And it looks super realistic. So realistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 professor Kessler's body has been completely separated and disemboweled and whatnot, but his vital organs are still functioning, which means his head is still alive. Right. Yes. Don't think about it. So Kessler, Kessler's disembodied head, and Chihuahua Natalie talk about their flirting on the talk show earlier, because <laughs> there's nothing more important going on. Nope, and that they both liked it. hmm <laughs> Cool. <laughs> All I have in my notes here is a bullet that says, quote, doggy style joke. So take that for whatever it is. <laughs> Make up your own joke. Mm. I'm not going to do it. Insert doggy style joke here. Just insert doggy style joke here. Meanwhile, back on Earth, a Martian has taken on the form of a very strange looking and behaving woman. Played, of course, by Lisa Marie. This is a 
bit of a weird late 90s iconic character now. yeah really absolutely is. you know what lisa fucking marie i'm sorry you should apologize because to the entire marie family this is absolutely insane the way they pulled it she's wearing a wig that weighs the same amount as her that's nuts oh, holy crap i did not realize that and didn't one of the kardashians just dress up as martian girl a few years ago not that i follow the uh, yeah yeah one of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it is fucking iconic and terrifying and sexy all at once. It's just, it's so 90s. Iconic, terrifying, and sexy. Just like Daria. What? My God. What? La, 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 la. Zip. Zip that right back up, yeah. sir. Zip that what? right back up. You're what? standing on my neck is actually my kink. <laughs> <laughs> so this Martian girl, she seduces her way into the White House through, of course, press secretary Jerry Ross. <laughs> it's not hard to do it. No. Uh, she just kind of stands out front until his limo pulls up and he says, hey, I know it's nighttime, so it's not really my deal, but you want to go inside? Jerry takes her into the Kennedy room. Where she bites off the tip of his finger and incapacitates him. <laughs> God. Well, that's because he says, why don't you take that gum in your mouth? And then, like a fucking creep, he puts his he, finger. He completely is like, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? In her defense, she only bit off just the tip. That's, that's true. <laughs> so it doesn't count. So, slightly Martin Shorter. That's wrong. <laughs> oh, come on. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> She then attempts to kill the president and first lady, but their dog Rusty wakes them up in time. And the Secret Service manages to kill the Martian. After Rusty got got, though. Well, Rusty definitely gets got, but that's the sacrifice of a Secret Service dog, I guess. I don't know if that's a Secret Service dog or just their dog. Fair enough. All right. (laughs) Listen, Rusty, you knew what you signed up for when we adopted you. Remember, we didn't save you. You saved saved us. us. And that's how you get promoted to head of secret security. That's right. That's what the bumper stickers mean, though. This attack causes the Martian leader to finally declare a full invasion on Earth, and Martian ships show up across the country, wreaking havoc everywhere. Byron and Luis's sons are on their field trip when the Martians attack the White House. So the boys, having lots of experience with shooting games, take up arms from some fallen Martians and defend the president while he's evacuated. As you do! Naturally. This is where this movie has been headed the whole time. Yes, of course. This is where I saw it at the beginning. I was like, okay. This, All right. These two kids who don't go moves. home, they're definitely going to be defending the president. With Martian weapons at some point, yes. The first lady is, of course, crushed by the Nancy Reagan chandelier <laughs> during her escape. To this day, Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, still killing people. <laughs> it's, that, right. that trickle-down is nasty if you're standing directly underneath it. That might, that might be the smartest joke I ever tell on this podcast. It might be. That's it. That's Congratulations. It. Fucking wow. all downhill from here. Just wait until Garfield 2, people. Taffy is also pulled away from the escaping group. Come on, guys. That was good. Taffy pull? I heard you. Oh, just, I get it. Yeah. it. It came right after Dave said a smart thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. And then you nope. did your usual shtick, and it just got overshadowed. Yeah. It's not often that happens, so... Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the new normal. This is the new normal. Dave's going to be smart now. 
Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> I was like, let's... yeah, live up to that one. Yes. Now, I've been thinking about a Star Wars Episode One joke for the past two minutes, and I can't think of anything. <laughs> it's got nothing still. <laughs> the Martians also knocked the Washington Monument over on some Boy Scouts. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love the way this happens, too, because they blast the base of this thing, and they start to tilt it over towards the Boy Scouts, who are conservatively... 500 feet away from this thing. Oh, like, yes. They are not close to it. No. And they make a break for it, and then the Martian saucer like flies back around and tilts it back the other way when they like cut on a dime, just go the other <laughs> way. It's like, it was never going to work that way. Gravity got the best of this monument, and these kids would have been fine had they just stood still. Yeah. Do you think they got caught? Oh, I think so. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I feel like it's like a testament to boy scouting. They're like, be prepared. <laughs> You weren't for that situation. No. You don't get your, I survived a monument falling on me merit badge. I don't even know what to say to that, Dave. No, that, there's no way to expound upon that joke. It, it was perfect. Fun fact, George Washington could not have kids. <laughs> Is that a fun fact? It, I think so. <laughs> hey, guys, we're having fun. <laughs> George Washington, uh, sh- wooden teeth, shooting blanks. This is George Washington with my wooden teeth. <laughs> oh my God. I haven't a for the Constitution. Please don't mention that I'm sterile. <laughs> Martha's already given me enough guff. In fact, if I could erect a giant monument to my penis. Uh, George, this is Tommy Jeffies. Do you Tommy want Jeff- balls underneath the giant statue that you're calling your dick? I don't care what you do with the balls. Also, don't let that Hancock fuck sign first. <laughs> it's going to steal my thunder. In his defense, if I can have cock in my last name, I would probably sign it pretty giant too. You know, <laughs> compensating for things. <laughs> That's the name of the game. <laughs> Shortcomings. So after the Martians squish the Boy Scouts, they also demolish Artland's casino, unceremoniously killing him. Then they blow up the donut shop that Richie works at. And he's bummed as hell about this donut shop. It's like, hey, he is so horny for donuts. This guy really likes donuts. Well, no, he's just worshipped that donut shop because it was very holy. <laughs> He's back. There it is. There we go. There we go. Ginger Skull Classic. The second smartest thing I ever said in this podcast <laughs> was a fucking donut pun. I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. A real life demolition in Las Vegas was filmed by producer director Tim Burton and incorporated into the movie. The casino was the landmark, once owned by Howard Hughes. The location is now an expansion of the parking lot for the Las Vegas Convention Center. Oh, God. Cool. So that that blowing up of the of the casino kind of really happened. I could barely focus on that fact because in my head, all I'm thinking about is dung 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 dung. Hold a donut. <laughs> Legitimately, and it's bugging me a little <laughs> now. Wow. Well, now I know it's going to be stuck in my head all night. So thank you for that. <laughs> now I'm going to have that and the usual screams I get in my head. That's it's going to be, you know. That's what you get for frequenting Dionuts. Oh, come on. <laughs> Duncan Dionuts? Why wasn't he the Duncan guy? Like, yeah, we all appreciate the guy that was the Duncan guy, but if you got Ron James Dio, use him. Yeah. If he's around on your planet and you have a chance at this, Time use to make him. the donuts! <laughs> Excuse me, sir, would you like Dio? Dio what? Dio nuts. <laughs> <laughs> To top off their their tour of destruction, 
the aliens decide to attack a Tom Jones <laughs> performance, a Tom Jones performance in Vegas. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Tom it's Jones, of course, nice. being played by Tom fucking Jones. <laughs> and I like how they only use his one song here. He has two. He does have two. It's like maybe just a little peek at the second one. Byron vows to get to Washington, despite his flight being canceled because, you know, Martian invasion. But then Barbara shows up asking him if he knows anyone that can fly a plane because she plans to escape from, you know, Martians and go to Lake Tahoe. Does she ever explain why Lake Tahoe was the place to be? She's just like, Martians won't know about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Apparently, the Martians never saw Godfather 2. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I like that uh, Byron's like, yeah, Art knows how to fly a plane. She's like, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> it just moves on. She's like, yeah, my, so no, no, my husband totally just died a scene ago. But, you know, like, hey, do you know how to fly a plane? A free plane. <laughs> Tom Jones escapes the Martians and joins up with Byron, Barbara. And for some reason, Danny DeVito has joined their group. He has. He's just rude gambler. And they band together to escape the casino, along with Cindy, a waitress from the casino. <laughs> some random ass waitress. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> by the way, shame on me. I thought Cindy was played by Halle Berry the entire movie until I looked it up. And you just discovered, nah. No, I, I discovered it was Janice Rivera. Who of course. Has appeared in such works as Not Monsters Ball. <laughs> <laughs> she was in Not Swordfish. She was in definitely Not Swordfish. General Decker has the president sign an order to deploy nuclear capabilities on the Martians. He finally gives in. The Martians launch a device that absorbs the nuclear explosion into a balloon, which they then inhale and talk funny like it's helium. <laughs> I love it. So Fucking good. Jerks. The Martians attack Parliament, blow up Big Ben, reshape Mount Rushmore into four Martian heads, blow up the Taj Mahal, and bowl over the Easter Island heads. It gets real goofy. It's very silly. I have another Cape Time to be trivia fact. <laughs> Late one, all right. The studio executives missed out on a chance to make this film into my favorite Martian attacks and have other various Christopher Lloyd Martians terrorizing Earth. <laughs> Huge missed opportunity. Huge. I saw my favorite Martian in the movie theaters, and it is the only movie I ever walked out on. <laughs> That's such a weird one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we had such high hopes to see My Favorite Martian starring Christopher Lloyd, but we saw My Favorite Martian starring Christopher Lloyd, and it was bad. I can say, with full honesty, my least favorite Martian. <laughs> <laughs> we already started ranking presidents. Might as well start ranking Martians. <laughs> kind of have to at this down. point. Especially when you have the gusto to say he's my favorite Martian. I'll determine who my favorite one is. Thank you, Hollywood. Hey, since, since we're ranking presidents and Martians, now would be a good time to bring up that Lyndon Johnson is both. Is that why he killed Kennedy? <laughs> oh, that makes a lot more sense. By the way, if you want some uh, fun reading in Lyndon B. Johnson, just look up his penis on Google. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he name his penis? Yes, he did. He named his penis. He would show his penis a lot to other people as an intimidation factor. Because he was a Martian. <laughs> Classic Martian techniques. That's right. Louis C.K., famous Martian. <laughs> mm. uh, I feel dirty for laughing at that one. Mm -hmm. So Richie arrives home after watching the donut shop get blown up, 
to find his parents ready to defend their trailer. And he asks about <laughs> Grandma, and they tell him she's halfway to outer space already. You stay here and defend our property like Billy Glenn would have done. The wrong kid died. You watched your son Billy Glenn surrender and then get got. I love that they're already, like, behind them, they have, like, a Time magazine that's like, Billy Glenn, hero. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Richie decides to go save his grandma anyway. Meanwhile, Tom Jones, Byron, Barbara, and Cindy continue toward the airplane, and Danny DeVito's like, I'm getting out of here, and he separates from the group and is immediately found by a Martian and vaporized. I like how he tries to cut a deal with the Martian. He's like, and the Martian's these lawyers. Like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, a lot of diehard vibes from this one. <laughs> yeah, Lord. yeah. Right? Danny DeVito is like, Martian, booby. Booby. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, fun fact for those who have ever visited Vegas or want to, they actually filmed this at a museum where they have old neon signs. So it makes no sense because it's like an offbeat part of Las Vegas that you would actually have to like enter into a building and then a courtyard in order to get into. So it makes no sense that they actually Well, they were running here. to a hangar that could have been anywhere. Didn't they use the same location, National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation? I think I so. they did, yes. Yeah. So it makes even less sense to see outcast teens hanging out there. Yes. have to pay admission in order to be. <laughs> yeah, and that. Two, <laughs> two pieces of advice for any of the Cape Podcaster listeners that want to visit Las Vegas. One, visit this place at night because they actually light up the signs. And two, for the love of Christ, do not walk there. Just re-listen to the podcast that these guys did on Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and it is double the treachery. <laughs> it is not a good walk. That's the trip to the neon graveyard. Yes. Yes. Instead of orcs, you get crackheads. Ladies of the day. Yeah. The ladies of the day Folks and crackheads. hopped up on angel dust. There's Vegas a, is a weird town. There's a major homeless problem in Las Vegas, and you can experience all of that on your walk to the Neon Sign Museum. <laughs> Which you shouldn't do. Which you should not do. A lot of PSAs is one. Do, 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 do. Zip. <laughs> <laughs> Richie arrives at the nursing home to find it actively under attack. A group of Martians are rolling out a giant weapon just right up to the back of Grandma Florence's head. <laughs> What's up with that? I don't know. They took the time. She's completely unaware because she's listening to her Slim Whitman records on her headphones. So Richie bursts in the room and he yells at his grandma and she unplugs the headphones. And immediately upon hearing Slim Whitman singing, the Martian's heads start to explode. I get it. It makes sense. The most relatable thing in this movie. Let me ask you guys this. What makes more sense? A species from Mars invading Earth, not knowing that obscure 1950s country music would kill them. Or a movie where aliens invade and they don't know that water which takes up the majority <laughs> of the Earth's surface, would kill them. Um, I ask you that. Think about it. You don't need to answer now. Wow. Just think about it. When you frame it that way, this is the more realistic alien invasion movie. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. And the one that made me cry more than Signs. No, I, I take that back. I cried a lot during Signs. Swing away. Oh, my God. Don't even do that. Oof. Move on. <laughs> the Martian leader. Not to be confused with the Martian ambassador, because the Martian leader wears a, a purple cape. Sure. Uh, and two of the Martian leader's soldiers enter into the secured war room where the president and Decker are in hiding. And General Decker starts firing at the Martians. But the Martian leader uses a shrink gun on him that reduces the general to a few inches tall, and then he just kind of steps on him. Oh, 
Yeah, and you see the blood and guts kind of just pour out from beneath his foot. That made me cringe. That's a thing that happens. It is. The Martians shoot the remaining people in the bunker, except for President Dale, who begins to deliver a speech, hoping to quell the violence. And it seems to work as the Martian leader sheds a single tear and extends his hand, which turns out to be a mechanical gag hand that impales the president, killing him. (laughs) I love how these Martians are just the biggest trolls. They so are. I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Man! It's not the last one. I have two more. But warning, one of them is the longest one I've ever pulled. Oh, terrific. This one's not, though. Tim Burton was told repeatedly that he could not kill off Jack Nicholson's character in a movie. This led to his decision to cast Nicholson in two roles and to kill him off in both of them. <laughs> that's really sticking it to the studio there. Uh, yeah, that, that's um, sticking it to the studio. We'll get there. Yes, we will. 100% we're going to get that <laughs> that one. Richie and Grandma Florence ride through the streets, blasting Slim Whitman on loudspeakers, blowing up Martian heads. (laughs) They head to a local radio station to amplify the signal. Meanwhile, Byron Williams, heavyweight champion of the world, goes to distract a group of Martians so Barbara, Cindy, and Tom Jones can escape. He fistfights the Martian ambassador, killing him, but is eventually subdued by an entire group of Martians while the others escape in the private jet. This is my favorite scene in a movie, just watching this guy punch Martians in the face over so and over good. and over and over again. Jesus, I can... If this whole movie was just him punching, punching Martians? Martians in the face. Oh, like Russell Crowe fighting people around the world. <laughs> but then I love how you see like the plane take off and they look out the window yep. and they see Byron just oh. laying there surrounded by Martians. Thanks, Byron. Bye. All around the world, what remains of the military play the amplified Slim Whitman music live and via satellite. The Martians explode, their ships crash, and the planet is safe. And this is my final IMDb trivia fact, but it's the longest one I've ever pulled. But it's worth it, I promise. On a radio broadcast soon after the film was released on video, Howard Stern said he had finally watched it and was amazed to note similarities to his own earlier work. He stated that during the first week he was on air at WNBC in 1982, he and co-worker Fred Norris had created and aired a segment entitled Slim Whitman vs. the Midget Aliens from Mars, which Stern proceeded to rebroadcast as proof. The bit depicted Slim Whitman singing as a weapon against invading aliens, which rendered the planet a wasteland. It's the same. I want credit, said Stern. It's a weird coincidence, and it freaked me out. Years later, Stern had Tim Burton on his show as a guest, and he told Burton that he had created a bit, Slim Whitman vs. the Midget Aliens from Mars in the early 80s, to which Burton immediately responded, wow, in amazement, and then added, you should have sued me. (laughs) (laughs) That is incredible, and yes, he Absolutely should have. That is incredible. So Jonathan Gems not only didn't turn over the trading card, for the story, but then he also just jacked it from Howard <laughs> he Stern. He jacked it from a bit from Howard Stern's first week on the air. Wow. As the Martian ships are exploding, the disembodied heads of Natalie and Professor Kessler confess their love for each other and kiss as the spaceship they're in crashes. It's so romantic. They drown, right? Like they just they, they I mean drown. they're just they're just heads, so I imagine they don't survive. In Lake Tahoe, Barbara, Cindy, and Tom Jones are surrounded by woodland creatures. The president's daughter, Taffy, presents the Congressional Medal of Honor to Richie and his grandmother. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> immediately. All of a sudden, Taffy's in control of the government because everybody else is dead. Well, she's got a lot of pull. 
<laughs> hey, wait, that was my joke from earlier, but you did it better. <laughs> Richie gives a speech about there being so many other heroes and that maybe they should all live in teepees because they're better than houses. Yeah, this kid should have died. <laughs> in Washington, Louise and her sons are cleaning up after the devastation, and the boys toss a dead Martian from their bedroom. And then Byron triumphantly stomps its head as he approaches the apartment building. He survived. And he got to D.C. from Vegas immediately. In hours. I don't know how I he did it. I don't know how this works. And then just to close everything out, a hawk lands on Tom Jones' arm and he starts to sing, It's Not Unusual. It's the perfect way to end a movie. <laughs> the wildest ending to a movie. Amazing. And that is Mars Attacks from 1996, directed by Timothy fucking Burton. This is a classic. This movie is absolutely insane. Are you happy you've seen it now? I can't tell. I am. I'm actually ecstatic that I've seen this movie now. I, too, am happy. I love cheesy 1950s science fiction flicks, so this just really scratched that itch that I had for them. I still don't know if this is a good movie, but I loved it anyway, so whatever. I think that's the right assessment. Let me ask you guys this. Rotten Tomatoes, 1 out of 100. Dave, you go first. 65. 50. 55. Mm. And the audience score is 53%. So I don't think uh, this really scratched the itch of a lot of folks. <laughs> it scratched enough, but not all of them. I think 96 sure. was a weird year for this movie to be released. I agree. And so did Roger Ebert because he gave this two out of four stars. He said, First, he made Ed Wood, a tribute to the man fondly recalled as the worst director of all time. Now Tim Burton seems to have made a tribute to Wood's work. Mars Attacks has the look and feel of a schlocky 1950s science fiction movie, and if it's not as bad as a Wood film, that's not a plus. A movie like this should be a lot better, or a lot worse. <laughs> Mars Attacks plays like one of those 50s movies that are not remembered as cult classics. You know what? Strong disagree. Joke's on Roger, though, because this became a cult classic of its own. That's very, very true. He goes on to say, Ed Wood himself could have told us what's wrong with this movie, which I don't think he could have. <laughs> the makers felt superior to the material, which they very much did not. No. He finishes by saying, to be funny, even Schlock has to believe in itself. Go to a video store, <laughs> that's dated, and look for Inframan or Invasion of the B-Girls, and you will find movies that lack stars and big budgets and fancy special effects, but are funny and fun in a way that Burton's mega production never really understands. All right, so first off, I would disagree that Ed Wood would not have criticized this movie because he died in 1978, so he just would not have been available to criticize this movie. He was dead. Correct. Secondly... We'll get there, but the, 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 the cast, the size as it is, I think is one of the attributes of this movie. But again, we'll get there. I think you're right. And yes, we will get there. Our good friends on Letterboxd had quite a bit to say about this movie. Most of them just felt like it was a guilty pleasure type thing. I can understand that, but you shouldn't have guilty pleasures. Just have pleasures. That's right. Exactly. Well spoken. Not, some of you should have some guilty pleasures. You know who you are. <laughs> John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, but from November 14th, 2018, I can relate to this one. It says, it is insane that I was allowed to see this in a theater at the age of 10. And I'm sitting there going, I was eight. There's no reason I should have been allowed. That's wild. 
From May 12th, 2020, the Martians aren't the bad guys. They destroyed the political class, the capitalists, the generals, and the media so that Earth could be inherited by service and transit workers, black exploitation icons, gamer teens, and Tom Jones. That's a great point. <laughs> that is an interesting way of looking at it. Not incorrect. That's a very karate kid argument. It is. It really is. And they did it all while wearing red undies, so that's even sexier. They love wearing their undies. <laughs> and the last one I have is from October 29th, 2012. It's like Independence Day, if it shit itself. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the end of the Independence Day parallels. <laughs> no, it's not. And on that note, how about we give this thing a super stuff score? Let's do that. But first... And now for another edition of the Cape Podcasters Theater. Zip. <laughs> this Cape Podcasters Theater comes to us again from Keaton Patty. Should be noted, this one comes from the year 2018. So that, that <laughs> setup is important. Uh, Keaton Patty oh, forced a bot to watch right. a thousand hours of White House press briefings and then ask it to write a White House press briefing of its own. This is the first page. Uh, Ginger Skull will be doing the part of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh. <laughs> Dates it just a little bit. Boy. Uh, I'll be I'll be doing the scene direction and action script. And Dave, you'll be doing all of the journalists. Fantastic. White House press briefing. Interior, the whitest house. Sarah Huckabee Sanders <laughs> angers her way up to the podium. Good afternoon. Couple of announcements. I don't actually wish you a good afternoon and the president hates you all. <laughs> Questions. Journalists raise their hands. There will be no answers. Journalists still raise their hands. It's all they know. Fine. But make the questions good or I'll explode into spiders. <laughs> uh, is the president downloading Russian spies into his son? Two things. One, if Russia is real, show it to me on this map, news pig. Sarah holds up a map of Hogwarts, the wizard day camp. <laughs> you can't because it's not real. And two, the president does not exist. Next question. Are we still building the wall? I will have a wall built with your questions and your bones. Every day you try to slay me, I get death threats. They feed me. A threat is a meal. I eat meals from meals. Three meals a day, ten times a day. Next. Uh, why are you holding that glowing skull? Sarah does not answer. The skull glows brighter. Jesus. Oh, perfect. I love it. <laughs> and not just because I'm the ginger skull. And I support glowing skulls in all varieties. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let's give this thing a super stuff score. We start off with story and motivation. It is very straightforward. It's super straightforward. Mars shows up. They're dicks. Then they attack. <laughs> America's stupid. They attack. What? Slim Whitman. Slim Whitman. That feels like a one. It does feel like a one. That's a one, Against baby. all odds, it's a one. Hero. Who? Humankind. Don't say human. Don't say Earth, because they're also the villain in a lot of ways. That's true. They're their own worst enemy. Um, the heroes are the working class. I guess in a way this movie's making a point that there are no heroes. It really is. However, that being said, fucking Jim Brown's a hero in this one, right? No, Jim Brown is no! Jim Brown is absolutely no, a hero. He's, not. he's punching if Martians anything, left and right. You have an angsty teenager who wants to live in teepees and his senile grandmother mm -hmm. as the hero. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Counterpoint, Tom Jones. One. 
Dave, Brian, <laughs> write it down. Let's move on. Tom Jones. You get one. one hill to die on. I want to remind you of that as a guest. I can't explain to you how many hills I want to die on for this movie. All of them. <laughs> this is the fucking Rocky Mountains of dying. <laughs> it's the Mount Rushmore of me dying. Yeah. All right. How about a point five? <laughs> he dropped down pretty quickly yeah, there. Yeah. It feels generous, but I'm actually between Jim Brown and Lucas Haas and Sylvia Sidney, some heroes. I think it adds up to a point five. Point five's fine. Point five it is. Villains. <laughs> is it so much the Martians as it is the US government? <laughs> And these Martians are just trolls. They are. That's it. They're they're trolls sans internet. Like, even while they're destroying Las Vegas, they're still carrying around the translation machine that says, stop, I want to be friends. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> There's just a bunch of jerks. So on the one hand, you have the Martians who are just assholes. And on the other hand, you have U.S. government and corporate interests who are just inept. So I say that's a one plus a one. That's a two, gentlemen. All right. So I'll go with a one because these <laughs> villains are a bit iconic. The Martians are a bit iconic. Absolutely, now. they are. So I'm a okay bit with iconic. that. Dave, may I counter with ack, ack, ack? You may. Okay. 0.75. <laughs> I will lower it, sir. All right. Come I'll, on. Have I'll you learned nothing? The, I will settle for the one. It's a one for villains. Let's talk about parents or teamwork. This has got to be teamwork. has to be teamwork. There is nearly no teamwork. This is... Or like small little pockets of teamwork that do not add up to anything. Right. It's oh, Tom Jones and Barbara and Cindy were a great team. Hmm. I'm going to go zero. I think it's a zero. On this one, it's bad. No matter which way you do it, I think it's a zero. I, in, in, uh, I, but the, the Martians were great team members with each other, though. But they were the villains. Does that not count? I've never listened to this podcast before. <laughs> okay, zero. Fine. We're going to go with a zero for teamwork and move on to female characters. Ooh, this is a tough one. Um, they are there. They exist. Yeah. Florence Norris saves the day. She's the saving grace of this. Otherwise, I mean, Marsha Dale really doesn't do much. Nope. Taffy Dale inherits the country. That's kind of nice. <laughs> Uh, Barbara Land just starts drinking again, so that's kind of a cool little whatever for her. I like how they just throw out the chain of command because, like, everyone's dead. They're like, yeah. we do not have I guess, a I guess plan for this at all. First daughter becomes president in this situation. <laughs> everybody's dead. I don't know what to do. The what? one remaining branch is like, yeah, that's fine, probably. So if if Billy anymore. Glenn didn't die, he would be actually next in line. <laughs> let's Let's put it this way. Christina Applegate gets like top billing and her only role is to make out with Jack Black. That might be a point two five. There are worse roles to have than to make out with Jack Black. <laughs> like I'll go point two five. Yeah. Point two that's point two five is, is probably fair. Even though a lot of the characters in this movie are female and are not played for laughs or stereotypes. That's kind of the problem that they're not played for laughs though, I feel like in this one. It it is a comedy, huh? Point two five. Thought this was a documentary, but go on. <laughs> Point two five for female characters. Setting. Well, you got Washington yep. in various places. You've got Vegas in various places. Mm-hmm. And you've got Kansas in various places. Yes. I want to say all of it was shot on location. If it wasn't, it fooled me. That's why I love this movie, because you really feel the differences when you're in D.C., when you're in New York, when you're in Kansas, and when you're in Vegas. And the old Vegas shots, it, they're, they're fantastic. You really, like, you, you really get the sense of like, 1950s-esque Las Vegas. I want to go with one on this one. 
I was definitely going to go one, so that's perfect. Yeah, I completely agree. One on setting. Style and tone. <laughs> it's unique, if nothing it else. It is unique, mm-hmm. but intentionally so. Yeah. It's well to a point, because they wanted to do this thing as a stop-motion film. Yes. At first. At first. And then ILM said, we could do this. We could do this. We'll show you. And Tim Burton said, that looks awesome. Then he never really looked back. But realistically, it's a $70 million movie that was made for $28 million because <laughs> yeah. the rest 42 million just went towards special effects. Special effects. Yeah. Wow. And Stop motion would have been so much cooler. Oh, uh, man. It shows. They, I mean, the effects are dated, but they still hold up enough. They do, especially because he kind of wanted them to look a little chintzy. Right. It works. Yeah. I'll go 15 on this one. F- I'm going to go with unprecedented 15. Is this the hill you're going to die on? I will pull you back a little bit and go 0.75. Okay, that's fair. That's a compromise. I kind of want to go full one. You know what? When Brian says full one, I can't argue with a full one. <laughs> well, since Brian said it. All right. <laughs> and meatloaf math dictates that it has to be a full one if we agree. Yep. It's true. I'm just That's very true. Trying to make a Martin Short joke with a full one, but let's just move on. To music. Yeah, the opening song was pretty cool, I guess. And then Daniel fucking Elfman. Pretty cool. Daniel fucking Elfman. So he starts at a one all the time. Automatically. This is not one of his more iconic pieces. It's not. I'll go 1.25 because I love it. Super impressed that they did not, they couldn't find a theremin player. So they used a different instrument to mimic the theremin in the score, (laughs) which is amazing. Thank you for thinking that both Dave and I know what a theremin is. I do. You put your hands over it and it makes the noises. Come on, man. Put your hands over it and it makes the noises, Dave. That's You're thinking of something else. I'll fill you in afterwards. Title of my sex movie. <laughs> the Ginger Skull, clearly not a theremin player. No, no. <laughs> I have no, my no. theremin in the other room. Fun fact, that was not a joke. I do have a theremin in the other room. No, you don't. 100% I do. Why do you have a theremin? Um, <laughs> my dad got me one one year for Christmas. He was, he was just like, I got you a theremin. I was like, well, all right. There's two things I know about my son. One, he hates Subarus. Two, he loves theremins. <laughs> Now, did you did you ask your dad for a theremin? No, no, okay. of course not. <laughs> you okay. don't ask your dad for a theremin. Nobody ever <laughs> asks their father for a theremin. So in my mind, you ask your dad for like a baseball bat, and he's just eyeing you up. He's like, Mm-mm. "No, no, this is this is more this your is speed." Just money on that. <laughs> oh no, this was like two years ago. <laughs> what? This is this is not like a theremin from when I was a child. I'm sorry. <laughs> What, like a hand-me-down theremin? Like, this no. here was your grandfather's theremin. It's a brand new theremin. He put his hands not on it also. This is two years ago. Yeah. So the start of COVID, basically, and your birthday. Oh, it might have been three years ago then, somewhere around there. For, okay. It was for Christmas. I would really like to know if this was a pre- or post-COVID purchase. I don't know why that makes a difference to me, but it does. I think it's pre what was your reaction opening the thing Christmas morning? Because a lot of kids are just like, oh, sweet, an N64. This is terrific. And you're sitting there going, I went, I went, a theremin? Neat. <laughs> Where does one even buy a theremin? You can go on Amazon.com right now. Uh, you could buy a Moog Theremini theremin for four hundred dollars, or is. you could buy the Burns theremin's great sounding theremin at a great price for ninety nine ninety five. And that's the title of it is Burns theremin's great sounding theremin at a great price. <laughs> wow, I definitely have a Moog. <laughs> oh, Ritz kid over here. Look at, this Look at you! I didn't buy King it. of the castle. King, King of the, of the castle. castle. King of the castle. Where the fuck were we? 
125 for music. 125 for music. Yes, I own a theremin. One-liners. Oh, boy. There's a lot. There's, There's a so lot. many. Can't we all just get along? Ack. Ack, ack. Ack, 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 ack. He does meatloaf math. He does meatloaf math. We all make mistakes, Mr. President. We have to nuke them. We have to nuke them now. I want the people to know that they still have two out of the three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. Even Jack Nicholson's line reading of shut up yes. is amazing. Yes, it's, yes. And he showed up on the day, did the reading in one take, and they went, that's why we're paying him $5 million. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we will soon come out at a very real outcome. That's It's, it's a one. It's a one. It's got to be it a one. It has to be a one. And that brings us to impact on the genre. The genre, of course, being comic book movies. And man, it's surprisingly big. Is it? For one reason and one reason alone. Tim Burton pissed off the studio so much with this movie that they canceled Superman Lives. Wow. That is wild. (laughs) Killed Jack twice. I get it. I actually, I really like the story of Jonathan Gems when he was writing the script. He wrote six drafts and they all included that opening scene of the flaming cows. (laughs) And the studio told him, stop including this scene. We've asked you to cut it every single draft. If you include it on the next draft, you're going to be fired. And sure enough, he sends the sixth draft of the script and it has the cow scene and they fired him and they brought in two new writers who, of course, added in the ack, ack, ack aspect and changed a few other things and then they ended up just bringing jonathan gems back in well i read an interview that said that jonathan gems i think it was like five times six times he kept including it and then when they threatened to fire him he said i couldn't think of anything better so i just put it back in <laughs> submitted that way he was like just really really poking the bear i feel like this entire movie the point is to subvert expectations and it does it so well it does. It's a movie strictly made for fun. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. And that is the thing that stuck out to me the most while watching this. Like, this movie has a huge ensemble of actors. And I get that there's been movies made after this that have huge ensembles, like like all the Avenger movies. But it felt like this one was just everybody was having fun in it. Like, everybody was just chewing the scenery, being over oh, the yeah. top. It was that I think that's the cult appeal of this movie is that it just fun to watch. Everybody's having a fun time. I'm going to go one. I agree. It's a one, surprisingly enough, for the comic book genre. That's going to give Mars Attacks a total score of, I can't believe I'm going to say this, an eight. Jeez. Point five <laughs> beneath the two towers. I think we can get it a little higher. <laughs> that is an insane score. For an insane movie. Yeah, that's putting it lightly, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brian, let me ask you this thing. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. I cannot wait to talk about this one. I'm pretty excited to see this because I, I keep hearing people rave about it. I rave about it, and I rave about it often because I like the first Hellboy movie, but Hellboy 2... I saw before the first Hellboy movie, and I went, holy shit, that's a good movie. I'm going to go watch the first one. I went, okay. I did that in the wrong order, but that's fine. Yeah, I I feel like I've heard a lot of people praise Hellboy 2 over Hellboy. So So next week, Hellboy 2, the Golden Army. Getting our Guillermo on. Damn right. Until then, rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Big Fish. 
Email your questions and comments to kpodcasters@gmail.com and follow us on social media at kpodcasters, especially on Facebook, where we always put up a post on our recording days asking for your questions and comments. We've already read a whole bunch, which is good. So we only have one left, and it's Jeff Miners. He wants to know, where does this movie land in your list of favorite Tim Burton movies? Ooh, great question, Jeff. That's why you're in my book, you're Jeff Majors. He always gives him the promotion. How kind of you. Uh, I would say my top Tim Burton movie is going to be Beetlejuice. So this is going to say, this is going to be like top four. I hate knowing that I agree with Dave on his top Tim Burton yeah. movie. I yes. hate it. I hate it so Suck much. On that. My top is definitely Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, it's not a top five for me, I don't even think. Ooh. Well, there's, all right, so there's obviously Beetlejuice, Batman, Pee-wee. Sweeney Todd. Because I love Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. Todd. Big Fish. And we still big fish. Big is fish big, is yeah. probably there, and you can hear our thoughts on Patreon. Exactly. <laughs> That's oh, and of course, Willy Wonka the remake that must be on that. Everybody list, loves right? that it's movie. Got so much yeah. Deep Roy, so it's much a lot of Deep Roy, the best, yeah. and still doesn't have enough. Yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And how can we forget Frankenweenie? Just like that. That's how I could forget Frankenweenie. <laughs> Another name for Martin Short. Hey. Oh. Hey. Penis jokes. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I would say top five or top six. Uh, Ooh, Nightmare on Elm. No, not Nightmare on Elm. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't direct that. He wrote and produced it. Right. Ooh, so is that not a Tim Burton movie then? No, I, it's still very much a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. It, yes. The movie absolutely. wouldn't exist without Tim Burton, so. So, Jeff, I think the answer to your question is it ranks as number one on all of our lists. It's somewhere within the top uh, 15 movies that he's made. I think we nailed it. Dave, I do believe there's one more comment. Well, th- There is, and it's from you, and that's why I skipped it. So why don't you read your own comment? Guys, this movie doesn't have an entry on cinemacats.com, so I want us to workshop our own final musing for Muffy, Grandma Florence's beautiful taxidermy pussycat. Even a dead cat's right twice a day. That is lazy. Especially when you have Tom Jones in the movie. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) What's new, pussycat? Not much. This cat's dead. That's not bad. Maybe our listeners could do better. Send us uh, your own Cinema Cats musing, final musings for, uh, for Muffy in Mars Tax. <laughs> for Muffy. Dave, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Man. I want to say it was fun. <laughs> it's you always guys, fun. You guys are very welcome. My, my presence here is always a blessing, I know. <laughs> well, it's always something. Now I feel, I feel a little bit less good about giving you praise just now. And I got bad news for Dave, even though he knows this already. He's coming back for Garfield 2 and Tale of Two Kitties in, in two months. A couple months. Two months. But he's coming oh, back, baby. the pain, the pain, the pain. <laughs> It'll be fun, I swear. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys here next week for Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Same pod time? Same pod? Ah, 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 ah.